Dotnet Rocks episode 922 with guest Mark Greenway. Recorded live Thursday, October 24th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, we're just about to embark on a big road trip across the United States in three legs, and the first leg coming up here on the East Coast. Are you excited, buddy? Yeah, you know, we've been working so hard to put all the pieces together here. It's a complicated show. Uh, we haven't even really settled on the name, but it's sort of a kind of like the hybrid show, and assembling it's been like the right. hybrid show, because it's a little phone, it's a little Azure, it's a little studio, it's a little TFS, like it's a lot of stuff. And it's a little .NET Rocks, like it, we, we're doing a show, a .NET Rocks show at every, at every point. So, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's a .NET Rocks road trip. All you need to know is there's an RV, and it has logos on it, and we're going to drive it. <laughs> and, we're, <laughs> and we're going to have bourbon. Right, so... Go to the .NET Rocks homepage. There's a big banner there that says, we're going on a road trip. Click on it. It'll give you a list of events. Not all the events are in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely subject to change. This show is broken up into pieces. East Coast in November, Central US in December, and West Coast in January. And things are subject to change. And it's going to be fun. It's got, you know how much fun we have. We always have fun. fun. All right. Let's get started with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Because you better. You better oughta. Uh, in this day and age, just when you thought there was no more software to be written, Jason Mulligan comes around and writes a web server for Node.js called Turtle.io. Really? And yes. It's very cool. And there's an interview with him from October 16th. Uh, Dave Whitley interviewed him for In the Loop. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash turtle.io, just turtle.io, all one right. word, uh, that'll take you there, and uh, you know if you want to just go to turtle.io for the actual web server, that's fine. But here's what it is: it's uh, it was first released September 2012. Gives programmers the ability to store files created with Node.js within a folder and access those files through the internet. The files are compiled and results are sent to the user via Turtle. If you have a host name, you're fully supported, and the content can be accessed quite simply. It's compatible with Windows, Linux, Mac OS, BSD, and Solaris platforms. You'll need Node.js 0.8 or higher. There you go. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. You knew it. <laughs> That's awesome. There it is. That's very cool, man. Nice yeah. find. Yep, and it's fairly new. So tinyurl.com slash turtle.io. I suspect we'll probably be talking to Jason in the future. I suspect, yeah. I think yep. that's a good call. Yep. Know it, learn it, love it. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment, a bit of an oldie, but a goodie, okay. off of show 759. And that is the one we did with uh, the folks from NBC and from MSNBC and uh, Oranini talking about Raven DB. Yeah. 
uh, which I think sort of tied into our show today, talking bit. about a no sequel. This is this is a comment from uh, Richard Bushnell, and just to to affirm to our listeners, we do read all the comments, and sometimes we read positive. They're positive, sometimes they're negative. This is not a very positive comment, but I thought it was insightful. Okay, uh, and Richard says uh, I've been a long time listener since the good old MSDN hosted days alongside the classic. VB show, and I've always loved it. I'm not sure why, but some of the shows, including this one, seem to be much more commercially oriented now. For example, I'd love to know more about RavenDB, not just about why I'd use it or its architecture, but how it actually works and how I could build it into my apps. Mm. But I didn't really get that from this show. Mm. As I was interested in it, I went to download it to give it a go, but the license doesn't seem to be anything I'd want to use, not even to have to play with. I contacted Iende, and he confirmed that there was no real option for me to use it without paying for it or starting an open source project. And sorry, Mm. I don't really have time for that. I think that most developers listening to your shows do so to keep up to date with what's going on in .NET land, but I'm just not sure how this kind of show helps. Mm. Well... You know, we wanted to give you insight on the fact that this product existed, that it complied with certain rules, and uh, that you could use it. And for experimental purposes, there's no reason you couldn't have played with that. And if you don't want to spin up an open source project, that's fine. I It was important to me that there was a free way for you to use it, and I thought that IND gave you that. Maybe it's not exactly the way you wanted to use it, mm. but there was an option there for you to take it on mm. and, and try it out. That, that was quite intentional. But there are other ways, and this is an upcoming show is part of that, so I hope that helps for you. Yeah. Uh, because Richard does go on to say, I'd love to hear more about this kind of technology, especially as the other side of the development world is moving on with NoSQL and similar concepts. So how about a show on MongoDB or something else that I can try after you've inspired me to do so? No, I'm sorry. We can't do that. No, I won't do that at all. Nope, nope, nope. nope. Not with all those, all the, not all that meanness. You know, it, it is an interesting dance that we have between uh, – clearly, we sell advertising on the show, and we do support products that uh, that we talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. And often, we want to show other products and uh, think, help give people insight into should you look into this further or not. And sometimes, those products are commercial. Uh, we try and make sure there's a free way to try things. You know, you, you, I would – an example of that would be Telerik's uh, Kendo UI controls. Sure. Which are sold commercially, but there is a free download version as well. Yep. And uh, we try to do exactly the same thing with uh, RavenDB, which I thought was a very impressive product. And that's one of the reasons we did that NBC show is because here was a really big app that was depending on it. But what's interesting, Richard, though, is even though those conflicts exist, not once has Microsoft or any of our advertisers come to us and said, you know, you shouldn't have done that show on that product. Ever. That's never, ever happened. So nope. we feel like, you know, we uh, it, it's up to us to determine what you want to listen to uh, and what you're interested in. And uh, if we think that you're interested in learning about a particular product, then we'll go ahead and do a show on it. And that's what we do. Yep. And we've been doing it a lot. And yes. uh, we're going to keep doing it because I think at this particular juncture, especially, we've got a lot of interesting change going on in our marketplace and with our clients and so forth. We've got to explore some of these other tools that are out there, not mm-hmm. just write everything from scratch. I don't want to ignore products uh, just because they may cost you some money because often that money is worthwhile. Yep, absolutely. So, Richard, thanks so much for your comment. It, it does spark some debate for us, and it's you're pushing exactly on some concerns that we have about doing the best things we can for you and all of our listeners. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, WinPhone 7 and 8, iOS and Android, and those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. 
And this is a good time to talk about NDC London. Of course, the Norwegian Developers Conference in Oslo, Norway, we've been doing every year. Now they're coming to London. Yeah, I love the idea of Norwegian Developers Conference in London. That's pretty funny. But NDC Oslo is normally in June. This is December 2nd to 6th. However, the Guthrie is going to be there. Of course. And that's going to be epic. We're going to be there. And all of your favorite speakers from North America and Europe are going to be there. The Skeet, the Connery, all of these great folks. The Troublemakers. (laughs) And we're going to have our usual recording booth. We're going to be recording a ton of shows. The main thing I think a lot of folks know about NDC is they throw the most amazing attendee party. So it's December 2nd to 6th. And go to ndc-london.com. We'll see you there. All right. And I, I got to show you this. Go to tinyurl.com slash giant surface. Oh, no. Go there now. Mark, who's listening in the wings, you go there now. Tinyurl.com slash giant surface. Listeners. Oh, in Trafalgar Square. That is a big surface. <laughs> Trafalgar Square. Microsoft set up a giant surface. Not the, you know, the pixel sense now that, but, you know, a surface tablet. That's awesome. I wonder if the keyboard works. It's a, Yeah, it does. Scroll down, and there's kids jumping on the keyboard and making <laughs> things happen. <laughs> that is so it's, cool. I think it's, in, what does he say? It's an 80-inch, 27 feet wide, 17 feet high. No, 383-inch display. That's a big display. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. the mar- Your Microsoft marketing dollars at work. That's. I'm sorry, but that's better than a video with dancing people and flipping. I agree. Uh, That's the way to go. (laughs) That is very cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we go any further, I must tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with hundreds of hardcore courses authored by MVPs, industry experts, and .NET Rocks guests. They release over 40 new courses a month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access with a wide range of topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including many courses on Windows, Azure, and more in the works. Lots and lots of courses there, even on uh, NoSQL databases. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce Mark Greenway as a lone developer Uh, Mark is often free to try out new tools and techniques on the cutting edge of development. He once deployed code to production while on a plane using Dropbox and his cell phone. (laughs) That's awesome. This has given him great perspective on how various tools interact and enables him to solve interesting problems throughout the development stack. From Backbone to Mongo and everything in between, Mark's done a bit of everything. He's also a passionate speaker and active in the Columbus, Ohio development community. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark K. Greenway. Welcome, Mark. And thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. So let's talk Mongo. All right. <laughs> we were in, uh, where were we? In Dublin. Yeah. And uh, walking out of the Radisson Blue in Dublin, walking out to a pub, and we just happened to look over at the office building, and there's a sign that says MongoDB, fifth floor. They have a Dublin office. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And we just uh, happened to have been there for, you know, the, the .NET Rocks tour. It's not very often that, you know, our worlds collide. <laughs> I think they had a, a conference there either this week or last. Oh, that must be what just, it is. 
And we just missed it. How about that? That's Isn't pretty that funny. Cool. So tell us about your uh, your experiences with MongoDB and what, what you've done with it. Okay. Well, um, I got a small shop, so I don't deal with the, the massively scale of Mongo. But I had an app um, in particular that really just lent itself to it. Um, what I have is users upload um, files according to the customer and so it's sort of like a little file system that's customer organized and they upload the files to Azure. And then I save all the file information into a database and then they can download them, update them. And just sort of, it's a common shared customer storage. And it was really starting to bog down because it's got 100 and 111,000 files in there and SQL server was having issues uh, with picking up the changes rapidly enough. Right. So I dropped in MongoDB uh, as a, a repository replacement. And uh, it was just, uh, I could keep everything in the same area. So uh, it with MongoDB, I was able to put the, the file and all of its different version attachment, all the version um, headers and things like that together so that, I didn't have to fetch one record from client file, one record from client file version one. Like it was just all mm. in one simple call. Mm. So that really just opened up the 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 floodgates for me to start using MongoDB everywhere. So, and you, by uh, reducing the amount of, uh, I guess it sounds like I/O overhead, you were just able to speed things way up. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, I was able to keep things together. I was able to do things in fewer calls. Um, and because this was six months ago, I didn't have the asynchrony, so I couldn't really uh, await. So mm. it was something that just really freed me up to, to in one instance, uh, save and, re- and instead of having to make changes in three different places. Is that sort of the essence you think of NoSQL is just simplifying your code because you're not decomposing your data into relational stores? Uh, at least for me. I mean, that's that's the, the biggest benefit for me. I mean, I know that some of the other people are using it so they can scale to just ridiculous proportions. But for me, it simplifies my dev process because I don't have to think about, well, this is this record and I have these four joins and I don't have to think about that. It's all together. Right. So you're just taking the glob of data you have or the object you have and saying, here, hold this. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones I'm doing, I have, uh, emails coming in and, uh, I take the email from the API, do some things and then save all those headers back to the, to the database. I also then create another set of, because I'm synchronizing between the email and another another uh, API, I have both of those in the same record. And I didn't okay. have to create those full uh, schemas beforehand. I just pull in the email API and the persistence API, and both of those are all in the same object, and including what I have. So, um, so we spent a bit of time talking at Warren about how, you know, he... Uh, architected RavenDB 
uh, his NoSQL database. And, you know, I, I really grilled him over, you know, the kinds of concerns that I had about the things that I love about, you know, having a, a SQL database and the concerns that I had. And by the end of it, I was like, hmm, I'm, I'm, a, I'm convinced. And one of the things that he implemented was um, it, to get the performance up, you know, uh, for, for reading, he had to sort of uh, put writes on a low priority thread. And so you don't always, you can't always assume that just because you've written data to it, that it's going to be available immediately. Um, does MongoDB do something like that as well? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know under the under the covers if it does, but it seems to, uh, by my estimation, because occasionally... It seems to be a lag. Yeah, because I did a... Uh, yeah, just the other day I had a bug where I was writing something to a database and then making and then reading it back to see if it updated. Mm. And it wasn't always doing that. And I was like, why is this failing sometimes? Mm. And then I realized that maybe I should uh give it some time to actually do that. And it could have been in the driver. Um and it because MongoDB has the drivers right. that are not part of the 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 way it operates on the server. Um so it could have been the driver. It could have been the back end. Um, yeah, yeah. It seemed like an uh, a good trade off, you know, because to to have that kind of instantly available data, you'd really have to do locking and all sorts of crazy things where y- y- it would just sort of cripple it, you know, because you're dealing with documents, right? Not not records. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, but MongoDB uh, to work out the bug, they actually have a write concern result that's set up so that hmm. when you do write it, you can say, Hey, did this go? Okay. Okay. Um, so you don't have to do the read back to verify, um, which is kind of an arcane practice. And I, yeah. uh, I mad at myself for doing it. <laughs> ah, okay. Interesting. If you feel like your old biases for treating data, you know, impair your way of using these new techniques. Uh, that is a very accurate statement. I mean, it's the, the, it, is a change of mindset when you're operating in it. And uh, it's fun because it actually starts to bring back into, if you are in the mixed world, it does start to bring back some of those techniques into the SQL world. Um, hmm. So you can learn things from the NoSQL world and bring them back and you get some of the same benefits if you learn something occasionally. Yeah, Nice. In your case of the the email example, what if I want to go through a bunch of emails looking for emails sent from a particular person? How do I do so that cross-document search? Uh, they have, uh, in MongoDB, they have the map and reduce, uh, which is a fairly standardized NoSQL process where right. you, you essentially find the fields you're looking for and then find the ones in that field that you're looking for um, and then you get a result back. Uh, MongoDB by default creates a little temporary collection. So it's there for you to, to create with the map and reduce. All right. So it's basically map reduce that, that takes care of the querying piece of things. If you, if you have something that's, that's complex, complex in that email instance, you're looking um, at more than just a layer deep. And then because you're going to have several fields, Sure. you're going to be looking in. So you're going to be looking into from uh, CCs and BCCs and things like that. So that definitely uh, lends itself to the map and reduce. If you were just looking for something in the subject, you can do like 
the root object dot email dot subject and then do a regex or something like that if you mm. have to do a string comparison. So, okay. Is there anything on any platform that resembles a link or, you know, the sort of the where clause, uh, the where syntax of SQL? Actually, um, with MongoDB's C Sharp driver, their default, the, the Tengen or now Mongo, uh, company, uh, default driver, you can bring in a collection and operate it with the special Mongo queries. But you can also just do collection dot as queryable, mm. bring that into an object, and then you get all of link. Right. Um, wow. You, and does that happen on the data after you have read it all into memory, or does it happen at uh, the server? I mean, where's the, where does the reduce happen? I guess, you know, if you're if you have a great big set of data and you pull it all into a big collection and then use link... Uh, you know, locally, that could that could get out of hand. It hydrates on the server. It does the okay. querying um, or remotely. Uh, I, what I believe it does, and I'm not positive, is the um, because it's a, a, rest, a, rest, a restful web endpoint. Basically, mm. it does sort of like an O data style query. Nice. On, and so the link just creates that or down to that. Um, it does heavily cache though. Yeah. Uh, the, the queryable ones do. Yeah. So very cool. It doesn't kill the server. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they would have to have, uh, addressed those issues. You know, I, I, I gotta admit, you know, every time I have a question about a NoSQL database implementation, you know, the answers are there. I haven't been stumped yet. And it, I mean, we're and we're still just comparing this to a relational database so far. What are the big advantages we get with MongoDBs besides the fact that, and just to be clear, totally free? Yeah, um, for me, it was the first one I ran into. Uh, I saw uh, Azure had it as an option. Right. Um, gave it a try, said, oh, this will work. And I picked the, the, the simplest tool um, for the job. Um, Generally speaking, uh, the, the most common things that are, uh, that MongoDB is known for is this, is the scale. Um, Mongo, it comes from the word humongous. Right. Uh, so that, that's really what their bread and butter is. Um, but I find it just as one of the easiest to conceptually understand how it works. Um, and so then it's one of the easier ones to work with because of that. So what do you do to scale it? <laughs> um, with, uh, on Azure, I just have, uh, MongoLab do it for me. So I don't actually, uh, scale, but it's, it's, uh, it theoretically, it's, it's a scale out, uh, very easily. Um, so you just add some more servers and they'll figure it out. Um, so you said MongoLab? MongoLab. MongoLab. Yeah. They're the people who run it, uh, who, they're a vendor that does all the, uh, hosted Mongo solutions. Okay. Um, they're the ones who run it on Azure. They're also available on Amazon, Google, and Rackspace, uh, according to their marketing. All right. So, and I'm just looking at Mongo Lab here. And in deference to our comment earlier, definitely a free implementation here. I mean, MongoDB itself is free, but now you're using a service provider to put it up in the cloud for you, right? Yeah. And so, did you actually start out at a free level and then? eventually got to some kind of pay model? 
Uh, actually, I am slowly transitioning to the paid model right now. Uh, I, I worked on the free one. I don't, I don't have enough data to really push the, the limits. Uh, but they have the, the, uh, larger and more reliable systems for, uh, production ready. Um, I just had, didn't need it immediately. Right. They have a backup service that's very easy to use. So I wasn't too worried about it just blowing up. It just saves the, a copy of the data off to um, Azure Cloud Storage, so um, Blob nice. Storage. So, and so it's and it's doing the scaling for you. So, I mean, I understand that MongoDB does horizontal scaling. So, theoretically, you just launch more virtual machines, and it would shard the data across them. Yeah, and I leave all of that as implementation that MongoLab deals with. Um, so what do you have to do? Are you trying to maintain a certain performance level? Like when would it know to shard for you? Uh, I actually don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fair. You know, that it, it just, I love technology. You don't even have to think about. It's like, yeah, it just works. It keeps going. IJW technology. <laughs> yeah. It just, just works. works. I love that. But the, uh, I guess the only thing is as you haven't got a big data set yet, but as the data set gets bigger and bigger and bigger, Eventually, at some point, it takes a long time to search your stuff. And that's where sharding gets kind of cool. Is now, now we just have multiple VMs processing the query simultaneously. Mm. At least that's how I think about it. Are you worried about transactions at all, Mark? No, uh, it, it, I really don't think about it. it uh, part of it is because you're not doing so many transactions. When you're doing something, you're doing it right. You do one right instead of seven. Uh, right. If your data is heavily denormalized, um, yeah, right. Then you have lots more rights. But yeah. with that, I don't have to worry about the transactions too much. That's right. One of the reasons we needed transactions is because one query could affect nine tables, right? So one of those things gets messed up. We need to roll back the changes to all nine. But also, you know, transactions in the in the larger sense that uh, you might be hitting multiple databases and things like that. But you you can. I guess, is there an undo? You have the, you know, whether or not the single thing happens and you can, um, it, it expects you to manually handle all of the, if you want to operate on two disparate objects, you mm -hmm. have to ma manually handle that yourself. All right. So if there's an um, insert and you want to undo it, you have to delete it. In other words. Yeah. Or if there's um, an update, you have to update it back to its original. Yeah. Which isn't a tremendous problem. But if you um, delete it there <laughs> and you want to undelete it. You yeah. have to store the object that you were trying to delete. Um, right. I haven't found uh, an instance where I've needed to do manipulate multiple collections at the same time. Or, right. So it's uh, it's never been an issue for sure. me. Sure. Well, this sounds pretty straightforward. I, you know, just a place to put your data and you don't think much about it. You get to still write link expressions. Let's uh, go over some of the scenarios in which, um, you know, you're, you're currently, and we did this with, uh, with Oren as well. You're currently using a SQL server and it makes more sense to use in this scenario. It makes more sense to use a NoSQL database. So obviously if you have, if you have a small number of tables and they all seem to be linked to the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. So if 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 they're all linked off of one master thing, so all details of the same item. 
the canonical idea is that with uh, like books, a collection of books, you can put the authors within it. Uh, so you don't need a no- different authors table. Right. Um, because. Yeah, and then right. you can, if you want to, you can do it as have a separate authors table and have the books within them. Right. Um, and have it write multiple times because you're not changing that very frequently. Right. Um, then you can optimize for the, the reads. That was um, another thing that RavenDB was doing was he was automatically finding the, um, you know, the common fields and building indexes. I think it, it was not what he was doing, Richard, if I remember correctly, he was building indexes automatically. Yeah, I, I, I seem to recall that. What about indexing in MongoDB? Uh, you, there's, uh, it's a very simple call. Uh, you can say, hey, I want this particular field indexed. I want this um, set of fields indexed. Um, you can do that. Um, and it's it really does speed up the, the reads and searches and things like that. Mm. Um, most of the time, I don't have that same need. Um, but... Again, because because that's the way I structure my data in sort of the I tend to go for larger blocks, so I don't need to really ever traverse the table. Um, I don't do scans a lot. Well, I think it also got to do a lot to do with data set size, too, right? Like this is about maintaining performance as the set get big. Yeah. And uh, that's just not something I run into very frequently. Right. Well, how many times have we been cramming data into relational databases? That's what the store we had. And the data wasn't relational, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like, a, like an attribute set. Sure. Yeah, or, or a bunch of settings where you only yeah. use one row. Yeah, yeah, just a bunch of dumb one rows. Exactly. One row tables. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, you know what time it is. Oh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time for me to hit the gym and map reduce my fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to charge your ass across I'm a bunch sh- of different tables? <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Oh, geez. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> there are children listening. <laughs> no, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we do that and I tell you who the winner is today, I need to tell you about Telerik Icinium. That's Icenium, I-C-E-N-I-U-M. It enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. The new release of Icenium will allow .NET developers to utilize all of the platform capabilities from within Visual Studio. The capabilities include comprehensive backend as a service, integrated support for Kendo UI, as well as jQuery Mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities, making iCinema a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik iCinema, with its new Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of iCinema with support at iCinium.com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is Sebastian Mantilla from North Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, my goodness. Golf clap for you. He's just over the hill from me. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, invite him over for a barbecue. That would mean I was actually at home. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we got this week, and then it's that's it for like a month, man. I know. It's crazy. Well, anyway, Sebastian, enjoy that. Uh, that's everything Telerik does just about in one box anyway. 
It's a $2,000 value, and uh, we give away one every show. We also give away my CD, Been A While, which has mm-hmm. been working on for about, a, I don't know, about four years or so. The great John Schofield plays guitar with me. He played with Miles, just in case you've never heard of him. Check him out, John Schofield. A good friend now and just a badass guitar player. Anyway, you can listen to all the tunes online at carlfranklin.com. And today's winner of that album is Philip Derbeco. Congratulations, Philip. Congratulations, Philip. The clappers are swinging. Clappers are swinging. So the CD's on its way to you. Yep. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button and answer a few questions. Join the fan club. We have thousands of members, and we give away stuff in every show. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we like to ask our guests, Mark, if you had five grand to drop on technology today, toys, what would you buy? So, uh, no, I think, I, I think I'm really big into hobby electronics, uh, uh-huh. Arduinos, Raspberry Pis type thing. Nice. Um, I probably would go for some of the over the top shields, uh, that I don't tend to go for, uh, the cellular access, uh, GPS type things. So I could really, uh, do some really cool things. And I've been wanting a led scrolling, uh, board for over my desk to keep me update updates on Twitter and things like that. I've been wanting to do that project for oh, around about seven years now. So that's so, definitely, but really led ones. scrolling board. Wouldn't you rather have like a, giant monitor that just scrolls up nice easy to read text instead of like a you know like a you want a new york stock exchange ticker kind of thing that's exactly what i think uh, what i'm thinking of and uh times square for some (laughs) reason it's just a much more appealing idea to have the uh the lower resolution one as opposed to having just another monitor got the four monitors on the desk just having something else be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot better. That would be fun. Wait, what do you figure? Arduino or uh, uh, one of the .NET Gadgeteer setups? I would definitely uh, – that one always starts with the Netduino in my head. Uh, right. I had, I had one that I bricked about a week ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that was always the, the the best driver for that because it you can do the, the events like you can't do in the Arduino world because you've right, got sure. the – .NET framework, so right. that's always the direction I go. It's only a few hundred bucks, though, man, even with the LEDs. LEDs are cheap this day. You need to spend more money. So I think <laughs> what you ought to do is you ought to get a uh, remote control drone that you can control via a cell phone, which you put in it. So you have, you know, long-range video and control, and then you can just, like, sit at home and fly it around, hover over your neighbor's house and stuff, and just be... The ultimate sort of creep. I don't know. That that does sound very uh, city government. <laughs> uh, uh, there, a, there was a company that was making a device. Uh, now you, you made me think. Uh, you, you, you hit something on the back of my head there. You know how my brain works. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? Oh, right. The LA 300. Uh-oh. Now, now I remember. Right. So, Lehman Aviation is a company making a fully autonomous drone that uses the Nokia Lumia 1020 oh, yes. as its camera. Yes. I saw this. Outrageous. 
But yeah, you know, you you literally could just sit at home. You don't need to look around. It takes care of it. It's, it wasn't that cheap though. I think it's over five grand. But yeah. considering what it does, that's pretty amazing. Lehman is L E H M A N N Aviation L A three hundred aerial drone officially announced July two thousand thirteen. Right, so that was right after the ten twenty came out. Mm. It can fly for thirty minutes and go to distances as far as fifteen kilometers. That's fun. I don't know. It's pretty. That's pretty creepy. It is creepy. But you know, <laughs> you, you know, as long as you're using it for the forces of good, and you don't turn to the dark side, you know, you you're okay. Yep. So with the 1020, it is uh, 5,000 euros. Yeah. With a, and it runs, yeah, you use a Windows 8 tablet and the phone to control it. So you're busting the budget here <laughs> by doing that, Mark. That's if, a whopper, though. Yeah, maybe the price will come down by Christmas and we can offer, you know, by the holidays we can offer that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a prize pack <laughs> for you. Yeah. How would you like to be the stalker of the neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what were we talking about? I don't know. What were we talking MongoDB on Azure. Yeah. Why Azure? Um, <laughs> for me, it was the Azure websites, uh, was a fantastically great way of uh, keeping things up to date. Um, I was able to, uh, hook it into GitHub and keep my sites up and live and, I was able to roll things back and, and do things like a big company. Right. Um, mm. So it just, when I saw the Azure websites, I just fell in love with the idea of not having to think about all those other things. It's, it's, I don't care if it runs on two boxes or seven or one. I don't really care anything about what's happening underneath the sheets. All I care about is my site is available as much as I need it. <laughs> Right. Just works. And and then, of course, having MongoDB running in Azure as well means at least your database is nearby your website. Yep. Uh, they have uh, MongoDB instances in just about all the major, at least the U.S. data centers and I right. think some of the other ones as well. Um, so you can keep the, the website and the database very close, which is nice. <laughs> it's more traditional. Were you considering SQL Azure? I, I I run SQL Azure on the same website. They work in the same ecosystem hmm. together. Okay. Hmm. Um, so, um, so and you use that for things that are more prone to or or lend themselves more to relational data. Yeah, and some of the older things that I haven't gotten a chance to to rewrite, right, stay in there. And I, I they seem to interact very well together because hmm. my application is the the interaction point. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. What do you do to pull data? And are are you even doing that? Are you pulling data from MongoDB and putting it into SQL Azure? Uh, very rarely do I do that. Um, more often than not, I will uh, bring data over. Uh, so I'll uh, create um, report style. Um, I'll group the SQL data together, right. throw it in a MongoDB uh, collection, and then I can pull that. And so that when I'm giving stats to um, users, they're very, very quick. They're right. already generated and I'm pulling them from a database. So I don't have to worry about, well, is that cached? It's just, it, it's sort of a cache layer for me in some, in some instances. Oh, um, I see. How's the data getting to SQL Azure in the first place? Uh, most of the data is already in SQL Azure for me. Uh, so, okay. uh, that's most of what the line of business app does. Um, right. 
So this was an existing line of business app that you added MongoDB to later because you had some of this unstructured data. Uh, that was the first one I did. And then uh, since then, I've been creating more and more sites that just have the MongoDB solely. Um, so that's been, it was sort of the, where I dipped my toe in. And then I, I spread it out into just about every new site is using Mongo whenever I can. Uh, okay. So you're, you're, you've converted now. Yeah, no, I've been uh, largely been converted. And uh, I, for a lot of the sites I look at, which wouldn't would make more sense. And for small apps, it just really uh, lends itself to MongoDB. I really sure. am. I keep hoping for a solid blog engine that runs on Mongo uh, because I just feel like that would lends itself so well. And uh, I keep trying to write it and giving up after about an hour and a half. But <laughs> it's- I mean, you could pretty much take DOS blog because it just ran on XML files and stuffed them into Mongo. It's it's a sin, but it'd work. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that that type of idea is it's just such a uh, it lends itself so well to it. And you have the, the the blog posts collection, you have the the blog comments collection is a separate one, um, right? Because you don't want your Mongo objects to grow without bounds. Yeah. Because if you start to put all the comments in a blog post and it becomes it shows up on the first page of Hacker News or whatever it is. Um, you'd have too many comments and it would start to overload the server side. So, I mean, I think this is an interesting piece of the thinking is w- when you look at the overall structure of an application, how many different document databases do you want? I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> One of the great mysteries of the universe. <laughs> Maybe there is no answer. There is no good answer anyway. Um, it, it, it's just the tool that worked for me. Um, I'm just <laughs> a little guy who doesn't know much better. Uh, so I just, but it hasn't that. bitten your head off yet. That's a good sign. I haven't found the pain yet. Do you have a more ambitious project in mind where you're really going to test its metal? I start to do more of the signal arcs, uh, back and forth. Mm. So having users collaborate on things in, in more real time um, and having that persisting. And that seems to have a pretty good push on that. Um, but that's that's the, the biggest one to date um, that I've come up with. <laughs> pretty cool. So what do you do for fun? <laughs> um I, uh, I, one of the, one of my favorite things, uh, in the, particularly in the developing side is, uh, we do a little thing called Code and Coffee every, uh, Thursday morning. And we sit and talk about code and, and uh, hack on whatever's, whatever's cool and, and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, source of entertainment for me during the week. So what do you <laughs> do for fun? <laughs> I, <okay. laughs> Code is fun, but what do you do for fun, exactly. man? I, I do play on a, a rec league hockey team. Uh, oh, good. Okay. Week, so that's, that's good. You were scaring <laughs> me there for a minute, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I'm a bad, uh, my original bio said that I was a bad nerd because I'm not good at nerdy things. Uh, <laughs> I just love the, the technology. It's Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's very cool. Well, it sounds great, and uh, uh, thanks for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you very much for having me. All right, you bet. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. 
And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 